right, we are back. Um, sorry to interrupt podcast with Tom and Sean. Um, it is Sunday evening, the 10th, I believe. Don't it's even know what day it is, but we're coming off a Cavaliers getting swept by the Golden State Warriors um, in NHL Cup Finals. So we got some things to talk about. Why don't we start with the NBA Finals? Because we know a little bit more than that than the NHL. We'll try and talk about NHL today, but let's just get started. Um, the Warriors have kind of cemented themselves as somewhat of a dynasty. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, yeah, they're the most recent dynasty now in uh, in the NBA record books. And however they got there, however they got there. But I'll tell you one thing, man. It's uh, whatever narrative people want to play with the Kevin Durant signing there and joining an already made team, uh, he has put the team on his back in the last two finals, winning the MVP for the second time in a row. Um, honestly, I, I think this cements and validates his decision to go over there. Um, he was definitely not riding the coattails of Curry or Thompson or anybody else. He he that three he hit in Game Three. To uh, really take the really take the air out of the uh, out of the queue there in Cleveland. That was just a great game overall. I think he just proved that he was, you know, the second best player, probably the best offensive player in the league at that game. Uh, just wish he could be a little more consistent with that. You see LeBron doing it every night. Not that KD really has to do it because you know he's won the last two championships and the last two final MV, finals MVPs. But I, you know, you'd rather see him do it a little more on a night to night basis, but. Can you really knock a guy that just won a championship in a sweep and won the MVP? No, so no, definitely not. And and I think too is, you know, for for all the uh, slack that he got for making that decision to go over there, you know, I think he he wanted to play on a team where he could really let his true talent show. I think that playing ISO ball, sharing with Westbrook, really wasn't working out the way that uh, it wasn't the basketball, the brand of basketball that he wanted to play, and. For anybody that says, "Oh, you know, they're he just he's just joining a team that was the best team," I got questions as to whether Golden State would have gotten past Houston without him. I mean, that series went seven, and he he had a couple of big games. It's tough to argue either way, just because Golden State at their absolute best was still, you know, a Draymond Green ball punch away from to LeBron away from being two-time NBA champions before Durant even got there. They were a different team. They played differently just because they didn't have the second best player in the NBA on their team. Um, Do I think he joined a ready-made championship team? Absolutely. If the team won the championship two years before that and went to the championship and was, you know, a few different circumstances away from winning, um, I think he joined a ready-made championship team, but he's still the best player on that team. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if he joined a ready-made championship team. He still overtook Curry as the best player, not the most beloved player, not the most exciting player, but he is the best overall basketball player on that team. And I think a few more years and a few more miles on LeBron, he'll be the best player in the league period. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that's kind of what I was getting at with the, um, we're talking about Durant because yeah, it was it was obviously an already made team. They won the year before. They got into the final minute of a game seven um, before losing to uh, the then Kyrie, uh, the Kyrie uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, but no, I, I think it's fair to say that it, they've shown a little bit of uh, a little bit of um, vulnerability in the in the last in the last few postseason rounds, especially. Um, you know, in that Houston series, it looked like they could have gotten, they looked like they weren't just 
they weren't the best team at certain times no, in that series. And it's really frustrating about this team because you know, like if you look at the old Bulls or even the Lakers before Shaq and Kobe started fighting with each other, it seemed like they wanted to dominate every single night. Where as a team like this, it's like they just seem like a different group of guys. They're not they're not just trying to win every single game no matter what. But can honestly, really, can we argue they're back-to-back champions? What can you really say besides you really can't say you anything. can't say anything unless you know you you question how really what the circumstance would be if the Boston Celtics were healthy and had maybe gotten past Cleveland hell even without them being healthy. I think I think their grittiness and I think obviously we can all agree that even though Cleveland had the best player in LeBron James, Cle- or, uh, Boston was the better team between the two. I think Boston maybe could have stolen a game, maybe two. I mean, it's semantics. I don't think any of us would make the uh, would make the claim that Boston would have beaten Golden State or even pushed them to seven. But I think Boston maybe would have put up a little bit more of a fight. Absolutely. I think Boston a Boston series with a healthy Kyrie and a healthy Gordon Hayward, um, that would have pushed the Golden State Warriors to six, maybe seven. Um, but, Especially you know, since Kyrie already has a big shot against them in a final. Absolutely. And looking forward, you know, you got to look. The Eastern Conference is on quite the come up. And the Boston Celtics are going to be the class of the NBA in a few years. They have probably one of the best GMs. Um, they have Kyrie Irving. They have a young team, not to mention they have a ton of picks and cap space. You know, there's articles already about, we have the whole summer to talk about it, but LeBron could end up going to Boston. You never know. Um, I'm sure Kyrie would love that. Yeah, right? He's just going to follow Kyrie (laughs) until he just plays in some other league somewhere. But, you know, I think everybody's talking about the Sixers. The Sixers do have two great young players, but, I mean, the Boston Celtics have two veteran players that are still in their prime, two great young players, not as great as Embiid or Simmons right now, but Tatum's real. Jalen Brown is real. Not to mention that they have, you know, two more lottery picks from really shitty teams on the way between a Lakers pick and a Memphis Grizzlies pick coming up in the next couple years. And they also have the Brooklyn Nets pick this year that they could either flip or just take the player there. They've done a great job drafting recently. Well, that trade that was actually in the ball, in the uh, Kyrie Irving trade. So Cleveland holds that pick right now. Oh, you're right. I but thought that, they, they must have they have another pick this year though. I think. Yeah, it's the Mem- it's the Memphis pick. Okay. Yep. So, but I mean, either way, I think you made an interesting point with Cleveland or with. They also um, have the Sacramento Kings pick. I'm sorry. So they have three more lottery picks that aren't even their own coming up in the next few years. Yeah, which Danny, is disgusting. Danny Ainge is a wizard when it comes to making moves, and it's amazing that he he knew he, who he was going to draft last year and could still trade back and allow the third uh, to draft third and draft Tatum out of Duke, but. Um, obviously that's paying dividends early on. I think you made an interesting point when talking about Philadelphia's future, looking at Simmons and Embiid, you know, those are two building block players, but they got to show that they can be consistently healthy. They've both had injury problems in the past, significant injuries at that. So they need to put together a little bit more of a healthy track record before we can cement them and say that those are going to be the pillars of the next great, you know, maybe Eastern Conference dynasty or with how up in the air LeBron is and say, those are going to be the class of the Eastern Conference. Not going to mention forward. the Milwaukee Bucks as well. I think the Eastern Conference. I think they're that next tier. Up. Yeah, yeah. I think they're the next tier. But I don't think. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be great. I don't think they're going to win championships. But they have a top five player in they the remi- league. They do. They they remind me a little bit of a Washington or a Toronto. I know they have one, that one great player that neither of those teams have. Um, but I I don't look at them the same way I look at 
the way the Celtics could be for the next five years, or even if, if healthy, uh, Philadelphia too. Um, but just moving on from there, I, I kind of want to just say, you know, this was a Warriors sweep, obviously, that in the when you look back in the history, it's going to look like it was not even a competitive series. Cleveland had two valid opportunities to win games one and three. Um, obviously, we talked at length about the gaffe that uh, J.R. Smith had just completely inexplicably bad. Yeah, and I feel like Ty- uh, Tyron Lue doesn't really get enough flack for that either. I mean... You're the head coach of a team. The only two people on the floor that can call timeout is J.R. Smith and Tyron Lue. As a head coach, even even more than a player, as a head coach, there is no excuse. You should be going through every scenario in your head. You're the you're the head coach. Like even I knew. Like what are what are you doing, Tyron Lue? Call timeout. I'm thinking that as the play is going on, and I'm just an innocent fan watching the game. But you know, um, I think that this was. I think the Warriors would have won the series anyways. And I said after game one, the Warriors were going to sweep. Yeah, and to I was your, right. And to your you credit. You were wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Congratulations. I, like I said, I mean, I think you could tell with the trepidation of my voice when I was making the pick to go six. I was like, it just the way LeBron had carried the Cavaliers through the first three rounds of the playoffs, I I couldn't disrespect him that much by not giving him two games, yeah, especially we at home. against but, everyone too But much. my God, man, that game three, that, that Durant three that he hit with 48 seconds left uh, when Golden State was up three to make it six, that was just a cold-blooded dagger. And you could see that right then LeBron, he knew it was over. It, game four, I believe, was really to me just a formality. I didn't see that there was any way Cleveland was going to get up for oh, that yeah, game. Oh yeah, you could see the win. writing on the wall. I mean, come on, LeBron checked out with like five minutes left in the game. Yeah, that shit doesn't happen in the playoffs. That's, no, I haven't seen that. In and a let really the LeBron speculation time. begin now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're gonna have an. Uh, uh, we'll see how long he drags it into the summer. I mean, we're oh, at June eighth right saga, now, but really. I mean, listen, the guy learned from his mistakes when he did the first YMCA thing in Greenwich when he went to the Heat. But, you know, um, it's going to be – he's going to meet with every team. It's going to be heavily, heavily followed. Like, we're down south and we're an SEC team without a coach. Like, they're going to be following the planes where he goes and this, that, and the third. But, you know, at least he's not going to do something stupid on TV. He'll probably be smart about it. Um, yeah, kind of like he did when he went back to Cleveland. Yeah, he wrote an article or whatever. And um, I think he's going to go to the Lakers personally. I think that's where he's going to end his career. The guy bought two houses out there. This is what everybody else is saying. I'm pretty much regurgitating information. But, you know, you're you're on the back nine of your career. Supposedly you want to play with your kid. I'll believe that when I see it. Even, <laughs> I don't even know if LeBron could do it that long. But you know that might be the one draft pick he'd stay around for. Yeah, I, I really wouldn't be. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be shocked. But I think he goes to the Lakers. Um, I, I that's an interesting take because it makes sense from the standpoint of it looking at a team that has so much cap flexibility and obviously ha- has the history, the pedigree, and the flashiness of of Los Angeles. If LeBron but, wants to be the greatest player ever, he goes to the Knicks. <laughs> he goes to the Knicks, big market team, and he says, Play with I'm going to bring Dops. this team their first championship since 1973. But I'd say there's about a 5% chance of that happening. That high, actually, huh? Actually, no, um, a 5% chance of that happening because of the New York Knicks, a negative 20% chance of that happening James because Dolan. James Dolan owns the team. Yeah, that doesn't help. Um, 
at least Phil's gone, so you know that that's, that's not going to be an obstacle. I'm interested to see. I, I think it's the Eastern Conference makes more sense for him simply because you're going to have to— get to the finals. You can get to the finals, and even, you know, I don't care what anybody says about how he's 3-6 and six now in finals. Oh, and, please. I mean, please. Like, look at the teams he's dragged there on his we back. We talked about it on the and last teams, podcast. Yeah, and the teams both he's those, lost to, too, were great teams. teams. Yes, both of Minus those Dallas teams, in 11, but— yeah, Dallas, that was the worst stretch of basketball LeBron James has played in his career since his rookie year. Um, I no, don't care no. if he goes 3-12 and 12 in the finals, no, yeah, but I you got to continue to try to get there. If you're going to the West, you know, you're you're putting that part of your, res- of your resume a little bit uh, a little bit down low because you're, I don't understand how, you know, if he can lose to the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, and, and I mean, I can't even think right now of an NBA Finals without LeBron James in it. Like, that's just, it's been, you know, the LeBron Invitational since 2011, so. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, mean, I can't see that happening. For LeBron, it's like, we, we talked about it last podcast, we don't have to talk about it again, but, you know, just to say, Jordan never had a team this bad, ever. Oh my when God. he went to the finals. He didn't have a team that was, you know, 50, like. Since, I, I he, since he went to the finals. I, I, I mean, and he didn't start rattling off championships until his late 20s. Yeah, so. there's not a team when that Scottie Jordan Pimpin played on that was not a playoff team without him. You, we, we discussed this last week. This is not, this is a lottery team without LeBron James, and they went to the NBA Finals. So we don't need to talk much more about his greatness. I'm sure that's bothering some of the listeners. But you know what? You gotta you gotta admit the greatness when it's there. Uh, when he checked out in those last five minutes of Game Four, I think that was the universal telltale sign that his time in Cleveland is over. And you know what? Looking back, there's not going to be any jersey burnings. There's not going to be any issues. He brought that city a, a world championship for the first time since 1962. Uh, it's over now. And and wherever he goes, he's going to be loved by Cleveland for the rest of his career and for the rest of his life. I'm sure he'll live happily in Akron. Uh, at some point again when his career's over. So, um, moving on, there we didn't talk about this the previous week, but um, I think you know we should probably say just to give the Warriors their due because it seems like we're talking about the loser a little too much now. You know, I'd like to find out where you think. I hate comparing eras because you know Bill Russell was a defensive dominant player and he was the greatest player of his generation. But I'd like to find out where you think this Warriors team, because we're going to say they're a dynasty, ranks among you know the early 2000 Lakers. Um, I guess you could sit, throw in the the 2010s Miami Heat, uh, the Spurs of the early 2000s, and then you go back in time to the Bulls, the Celtics of the 80s, the Lakers. They were they were going back and forth, and then earlier on with that, I guess you you have the early 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 Celtics. Yeah, they 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 to me are a little bit better than what the early 2010s Heat. Uh, Heat I, were I completely agree. Uh, um, they won seventy three games. So yeah, exactly. And the Heat, you know, that was a team that you looked at where I think the they, NBA they, was, Ray, was they needed a Ray Allen. Yeah, they needed a Ray Allen three to save to completely save their lives uh, in their second championship, and then they lost to the Spurs uh, the next year. So but you have to say with that, I mean. You know, just to argue with you about that for two seconds, I agree with the Ray Allen three, but don't forget that the Warriors almost didn't make it to the finals the last year with KD in that game seven, and the only reason why they were even in that game was because Clay Thompson 
Oh, he was went off. out of his mind yeah. and scored, what, like 45 points? He had eight threes in that game. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, there is a little bit of luck with every championship. That's a good and point. And they've also been blessed that, you know, the only injury that they've had, which you need in a dynasty, is Steph Curry. On um, and off with his knee and ankle. On and off with his knee and ankle. Clay Thompson, you know, even if the guy's hurt, you'd never know about it. And the same thing with Durant and Draymond. Durant, besides getting rolled up on by his own teammate last year, has been amazingly healthy almost his entire career minus the foot injury um and Draymond and Clay the same the only guy they really had injury issues with was Steph Curry um but yeah I think that they're better than that Miami Heat team I'm putting them with that Laker not to cut you off but I'm putting them with the Lakers of the early 2000s yeah. right now yeah. I mean they not have that transcendent that player they're not nearly as good as the Bulls teams I and I don't think anybody or the Showtime could compare Lakers. that not that I watched them but I've watched a lot of YouTube in my day yep same with those same with those 80 Celtics too <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think that they're with that Lakers team. You know, they don't have uh, they don't have the two best players in the league. And if you remember that early Lakers team, I was super young. But Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal, before they started hating each other for that short period of time where they literally hated each other, and Kobe Bryant got into a lot of off-the-court trouble with that case that he had back when he wore number eight. Um, I don't have to say anything else besides that. Um, they were the two best players in the league. They would just trade 40-point games. Shaq averaged almost you know, a quadruple-double in, in one final. So I don't think they're that good. And the Eastern Conference, you have to remember, at that time, too, was very poor. They beat the New Jersey Nets at the time. They yeah. beat the Philadelphia 76ers, which without Iverson was probably a close to what team. this Cleveland Cavalier team was. Yeah. Um, so they certainly didn't have to go up against any real big opponents. And I, I don't think that you can disrespect Cleveland that much, but I think Golden State what would be interesting because I think we've also skipped over the Spurs. But the Spurs had like a 10-year like a, a run where I don't know if you could really ever call them a dynasty, but they had... You know, they would win every other year. They won 03, 05, 07, but they were always in the Western Conference Finals. They acquiesced those two years to the Lakers when they lost to Boston and then beat Boston. And then they came back for those two straight years against Miami. So they've had a sustained level of success that I don't know if you can put into the same category as one of those dynasties where, you know, you're in the finals every year and you rattle off three or four like we've seen Golden State right now. Yeah, and you have to think about the teams in their era because, quite honestly, I think, you know, if this if this um, Warriors team was to go and play that that um, Lakers team, I mean, besides the fact that Shaq would probably score 80 points, I think the score would be probably 85 to 120 Warriors because they just wouldn't know what to do with Steph Curry pulling up from, you know, 35 feet out and hitting it at a, at a 55% clip. Same thing with Clay Thompson. And same Kevin thing with Durant. Durant. <laughs> exactly. You got three of the best shooters of all time on the floor. So, you know, I just think basketball is more advanced. It's getting better. Same with every other sport. Well, the- Football, you know, it's becoming a more offensive game. People aren't getting, you know, well, much more passing same type of game. Head, yeah. head injuries. And baseball, you know, it's becoming more analytical. And um, home runs and The games outs. are growing because technology's growing and this, whatever. You don't have to get into But that also, too you much. look at Shaq, too, as he was a back to the basket player, albeit dominant, one of the best ever. That kind of player doesn't really exist in today's NBA. So, like you said, that could pose a major problem because at that point, you're probably trading three, twos for threes if you were the Lakers at the time. Obviously, it's just a fun little debate to have. We are at that point now with the Warriors where 
they're going to stack up with some of the best yeah. in the history and of the league. And you have to keep in mind, Durant is a free agent, but, you know, all signs lead to he's him. He's basically signing. said he's coming back. Yeah, he's yeah. Pr- he'll probably lock into another maybe one or two-year deal, one of those, like, LeBron deals, basically, because LeBron's pretty much the one that invented those two-year quick deal, quick max deals, you know, keep the options open. Um, but, yeah, I think Durant will be back. Um, we got the whole summer to talk about LeBron James and, you know, Paul George and the rest of the free agents. Um, one more quick thing about the NBA. Um, well, we could talk if you think the finals were bad for the NBA. I think that this playoffs, although longer than some others, were pretty boring. Um, the NBA is an all-year-round sport, a lot of drama. And, you know, the younger generation loves the NBA much more than baseball and even more than football. It's a star-driven league, that's why. Yeah, and, you know, it is a very, very star-driven league, rightfully so, because you look at LeBron James and he can make a team unlike any other sport. So it's definitely deservedly so. Obviously, I don't think the NBA is in bad shape because of this, but obviously a sweep of a series that when you look back at it, you're gonna even now you feel like even though two of the games the Cavs were right in it, it didn't even feel close. It's a sweep for God's sake. No. It was not good for the NBA. I'm sure they were hoping for seven, and I'm sure at some point you got to start hoping that some other team besides the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Warriors get it to the finals. Listen, we point. we talked about. You know, we just rattled off some of the dynasties. The NBA has always been a dynasty team going back to those Bulls or the um, Celtics of the 60s all the way up through the Bulls of the 90s, your short-term Lakers, your Spurs dominance, whatever. A lot whatever. more back-to-backs in this league than any other one. Absolutely. And because, like you said, one player can dictate the entire, um, the entire situation of the league and, and of who's winning, but... I think it's bad for the league because of this. I I understand and respect the fact that the young fans want the drama. They want the storylines. They don't really care who wins. They're seeing Curry hit these shots. You're getting the best players, but you're not getting the best teams. I think it's clear to see that with the exception of Golden State, you know, Boston is the better, more fundamentally fun team to watch than Cleveland. And to the basketball purists, this is not good for the league. Whether they're you know older and they're relating back to some of the some of the older rivalries and some of the past seasons, you know that's not really a, it doesn't really matter now. But I don't think it's a good situation because it, I there's no reason there's no reason to look into the there's no reason to pay attention to the regular season. There's no reason to pay attention to really the postseason because even though those seven game series. Almost all of those games were blowouts. You and I were talking before we went on air about that. And it was like, you know, that's a seven-game series, but it was not a nip-and-tuck back-and-forth. That was a blowout here, a blowout there. And, you know, it's it was who was going to eventually take the last game, Golden State. And you were never going to doubt Golden State in a big game. You were not going to doubt LeBron in a big game. And that's how it worked out. You can't go into a season where you say these are going to be the teams because it it really dismisses the entirety of the regular season and it tries to create its own drama and whatnot. But for the people that aren't into that, it it's not good. I don't think it's good. Yeah, the NBA will be fine, but I don't think it's good. The NBA will be fine. You don't really have to say much more. But you know, there's going to be a lot of movement in free agency, which there is in the NBA every year. So. I really wouldn't worry. Like you said, it's a player-driven league, and this league has more talent in it right now than it has had since you know they they added teams to the league. And you hope that because those players are spread out, 
you hope that that creates the parity where you get a Donovan Mitchell Utah Jazz team getting to the Western Conference Finals, and you you got to hope for these that these super teams kind of dissolve a little bit. I understand that you can do it, and it's fine. But when you're getting a, a group of players together that are obviously you know some of the top ten players in the league. It's hard for other teams to compete, and you look at our two locals, the Knicks and the Nets. I mean, they basically put them into obscurity because you try to get excited as the season goes, where maybe hey, they're two games over five hundred. Hey, they're competing with these teams, but yeah, but you the want level, them to be twenty games under. No, and, and the level, you want them to lose. the level of the even the level of success that they might have is so is so um, mitigated by the fact that it. Like, look how the drop-off is. Like, if you're comparing a Nets to even the even the Milwaukee Bucks, I mean, they are so, so far apart. And it's always been that it's, way. It's Nothing's going to change. And no. It, it doesn't it, matter. It's the People are watching. There's more people watching basketball now than ever. Even though it was a sweep, the finals got good ratings. So what else can you worry about? There's more money flowing into the NBA than ever. It's not going anywhere. So, I mean... It's it sucks. I would have much rather had a better series, but you know, I for damn sure enjoyed watching Kevin Durant put on a show in Game Three. Well, that's and what Curry it is. Curry put on a show in Game Four. Seeing the stars perform on the highest level, knowing that they're playing in those games, is what you want. And to segue into something else, because you know the NBA is fine. I, I think we're good on that. Is uh, who do you think? Who do you feel should have won Finals MVP? I don't think that it was a slight, and I don't think that. You know, it, it, Kevin Durant wasn't deserving. But, you know, I know Steph Curry did not have a great Game 3, and Kevin Durant had one of the best games of his career in Game 3. But Curry had a great Game 1, 2, and 4. Like, a really, really efficient and great game. And I think that, you know, sometimes you just got to... He's a two-time unanimous MVP, and I think that he was a little more deserving. I know that you, it leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth because he went, I think, 2 or 3 for 10 in game three, but you know, I, I think that, I think that he should have won the MVP. Yeah. It's I mean, semantics, I was just going to say but, it's semantics to me. Uh, if you really want to have that debate, I got no problem with Durant getting it. You know, he, in a game, I think what they are looking at was game four was never really close, probably because of the performance that Curry had, but the clutch shots that Durant hit down the stretch in game three, which is a really one of those games that, if, if Cleveland wins, that series could completely change. And you look at that three he hit over LeBron, just like he hit in game four of last year's finals. I mean, I, th- I think that played a lot into it. It really doesn't matter. I think that Durant is a player where you look at and say, okay, he's not riding the coattails of Curry, Thompson, and Draymond. He is driving the bus more often than not. Curry had a great series shooting. It looked like he really came back after being, uh, you know, a little bit rusty when he came back from his injury. Uh, finally looked 100% in the finals and towards the tail end of the Western finals. I got no problem with Durant winning that at no, all. I, I don't either. I just would have liked to have seen, you know, um, it almost at this point you could call him an all-timer. You know, he's he's probably going to be a Hall of Famer if he keeps this up for another few uh for another few years and Steph Curry um, win. But, you know, I can't argue with it. I, I just wanted to ask you the question. Final thing on the NBA. Um, this is a good one. Yeah, the the Ringer actually reported, which is one of my favorite websites. I'm a big fan. Um, I guess, you know, looking at what we're doing right now, kind of kind of one of the things we'd like to model ourselves after. But they, they were the ones who broke the report on 
just some weird, weird, weird thing in the NBA that um, there was like five Twitters linked to Brian Colangelo. Turns out, I believe the last thing I read was that it was actually linked to his wife. It was his wife. Yeah. And my thing is really this. creative name too. One of them was like Philo one two three four five six seven. Like I mean, my my God. thing is this. First of all, I can barely remember the password to open up my iPhone. Thank God for the touch thing. And you remembered <laughs> five different Twitter passwords. That's insane. That's one off the top. Um, and another thing is whether you are a husband, a wife, a partner, whatever you are of someone in a position of power that's making millions of dollars. How stupid can you be? Seriously, how stupid can you be that that you didn't think that someone would put this together? Great investigative journalism by taking a tip and running with it and proving it. Great job. You know, a, a cool story to come out. Um, but how stupid can you be? And you know what? If you're Brian Colangelo, it's on you. Like... You know, you can't be giving her that kind of confidential information, you know? No, God, no. And and I'm the t- only thing that was bad, uh, I, I don't care what kind of collar you wear, how big it is, you cannot be disclosing player injuries via Twitter. Oh, my God, no. But that's just the era we live in, right? Like, social media provides everybody a voice. Everybody feels that they can use it the way they want to. And I think people think they're a lot more sneaky and, 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 uh, and quick than they actually are. Um it is very easy to trace certain Twitter handles back to certain people. Uh, yeah, it was just a weird story, and he finally he got dismissed on Friday, uh, rightfully so. You can't have that kind of a. You can't have that in your front office, period. But especially with a young up and coming team that has a lot of good things going for it right now. Yeah, absolutely. They're trying I mean, to recruit some free agents. They're trying to build from what they were this year. I don't. You think don't you need can that name mess. Three more teams that you'd rather be, or even two more teams that you'd rather be GM. I mean, listen. I if I were in that type of position, I'd rather be the GM of the maybe the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics. Yeah, and prob- that's it. And probably not even the Golden State Warriors because you know this dynasty at some point. Will Will come to an end. You're gonna to have to start tying up cap space. The only team I'd probably rather be GM then than the Philadelphia 76ers. Shout out to the process. And who was the GM then? Sam Hankey. Who started that hashtag? No, by no, the way, I that wasn't Calangelo's wife, was it? No, no, it wasn't Calangelo. <laughs> Just messing with you. Um, but you know, um, there, there's one team I'd rather be. That's how crazy this is. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised if another great NBA GM that's in not a great situation due to either themselves or somebody else. Could you imagine finding yourself in that situation? That'd be you know, great. I, I, I read somewhere that the Toronto Raptors GM who fleeced the Knicks twice. I've mentioned that already. Whatever. You're so um, salty. Is 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 thinking about it, and it, it's just a super crazy, crazy situation. It's a. It's such a 2018 thing. This would not have happened ever again. Could you imagine in, you know, the early 2000s if somebody was writing, like, emails about this or, or letters even <laughs> Shaq earlier? hates Kobe. Yeah. yeah. It's yep. such a 2018 thing that anybody thinks that that's smart or right or that you're getting over it at all. And you see it all the time. I just Kevin don't Durant understand what the... with the fake Twitter thing. But at least he was just going it's back and the, forth. It's the it. cryptic, weird kind of behind the scenes, say something without saying something kind of thing. It's I, I just don't understand the mentality you have to be in, and this isn't even just in sports. It's anywhere. As, as somebody who doesn't utilize social media really that much because aside from being on here, I don't really care what anybody has to has to say about what I think, so why yeah. why am I voicing opinions? But no, I think it's uh, 
I think it's just a crazy situation. It Sorry is to interrupt podcast. Sorry to Instagram coming podcast. soon. Instagram and, coming yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah. You can run that. Um, but no, and, and and props to the Sixers for getting rid of them quick. You know, uh, they could have let this drag out. Sometimes inept franchises or franchises that haven't won a lot usually. Oh Jesus! Could you imagine if this happened to the Mets? Oh boy! And I can't wait to talk about the Mets in a little bit too when we get to baseball. But yeah, this was uh, this was a ridiculous story. Props to the Sixers for getting rid of them. Whoever finds themselves in that GM spot with the Sixers God is going to be in a really good spot. Maybe a little bit pressure because it's going to be like, hey, you better. There's no reason for you to fuck up now. But yeah, definitely. If I were the Sixers, I probably wouldn't sign a a because now they're getting to the point where you want to sign the right free agents to build around these two pillars um, and the other young guys that they have because they still have Sarich, Covington, who did not look good in the playoffs, but is still a good young player. Maybe they trade him or something. But you're at the point now where you want to start signing veteran guys to build around him. So you really need, you know, I wouldn't hire some no name guy. You got to get a veteran guy that isn't trying to, you know, continue the process. You want a guy that is going to help put players around you to not only not mortgage your future with the cap, but build a team to win. But enough said about that. I, 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 it's just a super, super interesting Tough black story. mark on the Colangelo name, too, because that's kind of the first family of basketball. You look at Jerry, who's had just the most uh, really spectacular career in the NBA, all the way down to USA Basketball. Um, so I, I, yeah, this is a weird situation from a weird family, from a weird, uh, weird twist with the wife and, and it's a tough mark, uh, on a, on a family name that's, that's held to a very high regard, uh, in the NBA and basketball altogether. But I think we can put a bow on the NBA talk. There'll be plenty yeah, throughout got, the summer with know, free agency the and NBA trades. summer drama is going to be Draft is coming up in three weeks. It's a, it's a 12 month sport nowadays. You know, it, it, when we were younger, it used to not be, um, it used to pretty much be football was the 12 month sport, but now they're both going to dominate the headlines all summer. So let's move on to our first time ever talking about hockey yeah um, and just know, the a quick NHL Stanley Cup finished up I don't really know shit I can honestly tell you I didn't watch more than maybe not even a full 10 minutes of hockey this entire season quick caveat so I'm gonna not. let you take the reins <laughs> on this one um you watch a little bit more hockey than me you're a fraud ass Rangers fan bandwagon as hell didn't like them before they were good till they went to the Stanley Cup I'm just gonna preface it by saying that go ahead you know, you're very aggressive, and on top of that, too, is at least I got friends who are Rangers fans, and it's a local team, so fuck off. Um, but no, I we definitely don't pride ourselves on being a, a hockey podcast. Um, it's definitely the fourth of the major sports. But it's the Stanley but, Cup. But it's the so Stanley it's Cup, so congratulations to the Washington Capitals for winning their first Stanley Cup in their 44-year history. They beat the expansion Golden Knights four games to one. That's how much Ovechkin, Joe Alexander, Alexander Ovechkin finally gets his Stanley Cup. Uh, this is going to finally give some more validation to to his excellent career and going down as one of the top ten players in NHL history. He doesn't have. He's always going to be compared to Sidney Crosby, who has three cups. Uh, until he can get two more, or if he can get two more, he's always going to c- take a back seat. I think real hockey fans, from what I've been told and what I've heard, still view Ovechkin between the two as the best of the two. Um, he hasn't played on as many teams. He's had teams that have choked to the Rangers and, and especially the Penguins. They got past the Penguins in the Eastern Conference Finals. That was really the monkey off his back. 
Um, as far as the Vegas Golden Knights are concerned, I think it's a really big sports story. We didn't touch upon it as the season was going on. You know, we started our podcast when college basketball was hot, getting into baseball, keeping football going through the draft. But it was really pretty amazing that an expansion team got to the finals of their sport. Uh, yeah, just and to they let were you know, one of the best teams in the league the whole year, from what I heard. You know, they never lost four games in a row till they lost the cup. So yeah, they must have been pretty damn good. No, they were, and they they were able to acquire a lot of really good former players. And just to let everybody know, in case you're wondering, how does an expansion team get this far? So generally, what happens with all professional sports, but hockey included, is when an expansion team comes into the league, there's usually two. Um, and what they do is they, they do an alternating uh, draft where you where one team drafts first and you take, you maybe draft first, second, the other team drafts first, second, and then alternate back and forth. Well, they kept those same rules in place. Just the only problem was, was there was one team. So when other teams can't protect some of their players, such as the dumbest thing I've ever such heard. as former goaltenders like Mark Andre Fleury, who was the goaltender on on all of the um, Pittsburgh Penguin uh, Stanley Cup teams, uh, he's a little older in his career. The Penguins had a backup who they were trying to groom into the next into their next future goaltender, and um, they let Fleury go. And he's still a very productive player. I mean, just to give you kind of a parallel, that would be like. A team like a uh, like a, a one expansion baseball team coming into the mix, and a player, a pitcher like a, you know, like let's say a uh, a Jake Arrieta or a John Lester was was not being able to be held on to, and they were able, and uh, the expansion team was able to pick them up to anchor their rotation. Just to give you a comparison of what that would be like, that was the case with a lot of the other players, good young players, players who maybe fell out of love with their respected organizations. You can't protect everybody, so they were able to acquire a good amount of talent. Um, regardless, good for them. Uh, I think it was good for the league. It and brought it showed a lot. that Vegas is, you know, a pretty cool sports town. I watched a little bit of the Stanley Cup, maybe a little more than ten minutes. Um, and they, you know, they they did it. They were well over the top. They had the crazy opening oh, ceremony, which was classic Las Vegas. So yeah, all in all, um, it seemed you know really cool. Um, and I'm glad that Washington, who is one of you know the the most sorry sports towns in in all of America, known for choking between, a lot. Yeah, between the Nationals and the Wizards, Wizards and of course the Redskins, the oh god, Redskins, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Um, all those teams have had their their rough pass and no championships, and they finally got over the hump. Um, they haven't won since I think the the Redskins were the last team to win. Um, I don't even remember when. Yeah, back in back in the early nineties. Yeah, um, ninety two, I believe. Yeah, against the um, Bills. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, pretty cool story for the league. Um, good for Ovechkin. It's always great, regardless of the sport, whether you follow it, you know, superficially or you're really into it. It's always great to see a great player win that championship. Yeah, especially uh, when cement, they haven't won and they finally get over the hump. Yeah, it'll cement his history. You know, we'll let more hockey, real hockey pros, go into that discussion, but. Um, one thing that I do want to talk about is an interesting conversation I had with a buddy of mine who's a big Ranger fan, and we made a comparison um, to what the Rangers are currently doing and to what the Yankees of 2016 did. Um, if you're following hockey, you know, kind of follow with me here. Uh, if you're a baseball fan, you're going to kind of know where I'm getting at. Um, so back during the trade deadline in February, the Rangers traded a lot of their for, some of their really good older veteran players. 
Um, they were in a position where they could have probably still fought for a playoff spot, but they knew that their window had uh, essentially closed. They, they had about a four-year span where they were in the Eastern Finals or Stanley Cup Finals every year. Um, they've fallen on some hard times with some of their players. They aged fast. They were able to obtain a lot of good draft picks and prospects for um, for those players. They hired a new coach in David Quinn, who is coming out of college, so he's going to be coaching uh, in the professionals for the first time. And the comparison that I'm getting at is, I was asking my buddy, is what do you think the rebuild's going to be like? You know, you got these a lot of promising young players. Um, the Rangers have been known as kind of an older team. Oh, you? You mean your buddy's <laughs> the GM? Is that your yeah, buddy's? Yep, got it. Got yep. it. All right, the just Rangers, following the, along the Rangers here. are the Rangers are a little older team. Um, they're a little slow. They're not as athletic as some of the other teams on the ice. Um, that they're going against, particularly in, into the postseason. So they acquired a lot of young prospects and draft picks where they're going to be able to beef up pretty quickly. A lot like the 2016 Yankees who sold off Chapman, Miller, and Beltron. They were known as an older team. They probably could have fought. Squeaked into that wild squeaked card. Squeaked into that wild card. That probably would have been as far as they would have went. But then they were able to acquire a Glaber Torres. They were able to move guys from their minor league system to play like an Aaron Judge, like a Gary Sanchez, uh, even give Aaron Hicks more time, who's still the starting center fielder. Um, and all on down the Clint line, Frazier. Clint Frazier, uh, Luis Severino, just go on down the line. And what my what my friend was saying was there's not going to be a lot of expectations for the Rangers this coming year. It's going to be let's see how these young players develop. They can use some of their trade some of their prospects and draft picks as trade collateral if they want to go acquire a, a good player in the prime of his career from another team. Um, there's going to be some free agents, particularly if you're an Islander fan or just a local fan. John Tavares um, is a free agent, and there has been speculation that he, he might go to Canada. He or might something. go to Canada. Um, he, there's been a lot of questions as to whether he's really been in love with what the Islanders future holds. Um, so that would be a free agent that if they could steal him from across town and make him their marquee attraction and surround him with a bunch of the young players, that could be a pretty exciting uh, thing. And, and regardless of what your real allegiance is, I call myself a Ranger supporter because mostly as a fan, you you want to know a lot more. But I can I can certainly draw parallels. And Ranger supporter means that whenever <laughs> they make the playoffs, when make the playoffs seat, I'm gonna you watch. dust off. You you shake the dust off of the jersey. You don't want to watch playoff hockey as a sports fan? Come on, man, that's fun. That's fun. So okay, whatever, whatever. Yeah. So we'll see what ends up happening throughout the summer and next year. It's always good when. Uh, Obviously, our basketball teams don't give us a lot to root for during the winter, indeed, so <laughs> so you need something going on. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of just I wanted to talk about that. Congratulations to Ovechkin and the Capitals on their first Stanley Cup. Um, and let's move it on down into Major League Baseball. There has Thank been some exciting God. things going on within um, the last week since we talked. Tom- so yeah, just so we don't talk about Yankees all the time, um, we'll start off with the Angels. Uh, Otani's hurt. Um, you know, he he went to the DL. He seems like a fragile player. I don't really know. How do you feel about that? He that honestly, I will say this though, just to put a little Yankees in there, that gives Glaber Torres a little hand up on the rookie of the year. Yeah, it does. Hey, even Andujar, man, the way he's been oh, swinging yeah, he's the bat, raking too. So yeah, I mean, there was that question. I think you were the one who sent me the report back after they signed him. Like a month later, they found like a slight issue with his elbow. And um, kind of giving a little validation to other teams not signing him, but he's it's a sad. hard thrower, and you know he throws a lot of curveballs too. 
And if you just watch his pitching motion, he puts a lot, a lot of torque on that arm. And, you know, these things are going to happen with the, with the arm issues. But wh- I, I forgot what he went on the DL for. It was it was the elbow. It, okay. was, it was a flexor tendon. Um, the same thing that Montgomery had. He's who a just big certainly went guy. On the DL. He, he's a really powerful guy, too. And I just see he's going to be on the DL for that and hamstrings, I feel like. Far too often. Far too often. And it's sad, too, because you know what? He's such an exciting player in a league that really wants those exciting storylines. But this could really diminish the validity of a two-way player in, in Major League Baseball. I mean, because if you look at it, they're not just losing him as a pitcher. They're now losing him as a hitter, too. Absolutely. but I agree, but it is an arm but. injury, like you said. He could have gotten that injury if he had never taken a swing in the league in his life. It has nothing to do with his bat. No, agreed. But because of the flexibility that they've given him and the prominent role he's played in their lineup every day when he's not pitching, they've now lost you know a 300 hitter. So you lose your top pitcher, but you also lose a great hitter. Uh, at least up to this point, he's been it's a really tough, good hitter. But you so. know what? This is the first time this has happened since... I mean, even Babe Ruth just went to a full-time hitter in for in ever. So you know, you just got to take it as it is. And I think he's too exciting. They spent too much money, and, and he's just too great of of a talent to not keep running him out there. You know, and probably not every fifth start, they'll probably skip most of. He's probably not going to start enough to even come close to winning Rookie of the Year um, this year. They're probably going to be a lot more concerned with him and a lot more gentle I guess you would say with him on his innings which and they already have been even more I mean because you know this guy and you see this a lot with guys that come over from from over there from Japan um, you know the first year you saw it with Tanaka you kind of saw it with Hugh Darvish they always end up on the DL it seems like because they're not used to pitching every fifth day. You know, there, there's a lot more time in between starts, and they take a lot better care of their arms over there. Well, yeah, but they also throw a lot more when they're younger. They're like they're throwing innings that none of the college kids or young minor leaguers are throwing in trip in, in the in the um, in the pipeline of these teams. You know, they were saying that when he was 18, he was throwing 190 innings. I mean, that's that's crazy. I mean, they're certainly not nursing him to come over so they he can be healthy when he comes to the US if and when he comes, but I don't know, they could care less. Yeah, they could care less about that. But yeah, I think you made a really good point. I mean, Tanaka set the world on fire his first few months with the Yankees. He was throwing DL 97 DL stint and he's still in a lot of people's eyes a ticking time bomb with his elbow yeah um, he's like Adam Wainwright like you just know at some point he's gonna have to get yeah, the surgery yep um, and I think with these guys you know like you said they pitch from a young age but they're also really babied when you go from pitching at a young age and then getting that being babied pulled away from you I think all of these all the guys from that pitch over in Japan whether they grew up there or even if you know you go over there out of college as a young player and then make your way over no matter who you are at some point there's going to be something wrong with your elbow it's just not going to be clean because of the amount you know they throw a lot of splitters over there too which is a pitch that's very heavy on the elbow the way the way they throw over there and if you watch all of the pitchers that come from Japan it is torque on that arm you know it's the splitters the the hard breaking curveballs Hugh Darvish has like three different types of curveballs all this pressure that you put on your arm whereas you know guys that are veterans in Major League Baseball are throwing 
a lot more change-ups, a lot more cut fastballs. You know, they'll get a slider over every once in a while, stuff that doesn't put nearly as much pressure on that arm. And maybe Otani turns around and he learns a slider or he learns a cut fastball like Darvish did. Um, Even to, Tanaka. Yeah. He to, throws to a lot stay, of 90-mile-an-hour cutters. Yeah, absolutely. To just stay off of the barrel, but also off of the barrel of the bat, but also to stay off the DL, you know? Um, miss a lot more bats. Try and be a more of a ground ball pitcher instead of trying to be a strikeout guy because you have to pitch way more often in Major League Baseball, um, and there's a lot more pressure. But, yeah, so... You know, he's going to keep playing. They're paying him too much money, but it is an interesting thing to talk about. Um, At this point, I consider this a very, very expensive experiment for the Angels. Um, I'd be interested to see how, how, you know, his career goes. He's going to be great if he can play. But there's a lot of those if guys where if they could play, they'd be great. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Expensive experiment is right. And I know they didn't have to pay a posting fee nearly as much as the Yankees did with Tanaka or the Red Sox did with Dice K at the time. But it's an expensive experiment because especially in the way of how you're mortgaging your team. I mean, you're mortgaging your future on a guy to be a number one starter and a middle-of-the-order bat. I mean, they, they were... They were banking on both of those things, and you hope that he can turn around because he is great for the sport. Uh, he is great for the young fan to to get a chance to see pitch because of his electric stuff and hit because he's a pretty competent hitter with a little bit of pop. So we'll see what ends up happening from it. I just think it's, you know, they babied him a decent amount. What was it, a couple weeks ago when they were removing him from that start against the Yankees against Tanaka because of an innings worry when he hadn't even pitched in seven days. You know, they. I, I think if, if an arm's going to go, an arm's going to go. I think the babying, I think teams are starting to realize that it doesn't really matter how much you take care of these guys. It depends on what they're throwing, the, the level of force and, and torque that's going onto the arm. And it's just a matter of time. There's too many cases of guys that have been babied, aren't allowed to throw more than five innings in a minor league game. Their innings limits are well taken care of, and then they come out, and even even as still young players, they blow out that elbow or shoulder. You don't know what's going to happen. It's just a shame for the Angels because, like I said, the 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 – the, the problem about being a two-way player is they've now also lost a middle-of-the-order bat, not just a number one starter. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely tough, but, you know, I bet you if you put a gun to their head and say, would you do it again, they would do it again. Yeah, they'd say yes. So um, would basically Especially every other team. being in Anaheim and all the other details about that team. Um, Trout, baby. It's going to be in pinstripes. Um, <laughs> so moving on to the Subway Series, Tanaka, speaking of hamstrings, um, he got hurt. Um, running out a sack fly. Ugh. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's a good debate to have with the DH, and I think that I'm all for the DH at this point. Pitchers are just too fragile. You know, you got guys going from – there's guys in, this, in the major leagues nowadays um, that – you know, haven't had an at bat since Little League, believe it or not. You there are pitch and sit players in grades in, in high school. You know, there's people that haven't played the field since grade school. If that's the case, I think that there if there's a DH across the board in young leagues, then why is there not a DH in Major League Baseball? And people and the old fashioned people can say it's soft and that's not what baseball is. No. You pay these DHs all this money. You like the long ball. There's no reason to have a guy that's going to hit under 200 
swinging a bat free. under 200 try under one yeah no absolutely i mean yeah it's impressive if a pitcher hits one fifty. it's a buck 50 you know what the people want to le- say is the strategy is fun and you get to see bartolo cologne take two minutes to round the bases once but you saw his helmet flying off every single time he swung a bat yeah and that's funny and that's cute and you know what sometimes when i need a laugh i go back to youtube and i and i watch his home run but no you look at things like this and tanaka has probably never taken batting practice in his life since Little League. And he is not built to round the bases. He's He probably runs in a straight line, on a treadmill, whatever. He practices pitching. He doesn't practice hitting. He doesn't practice running the bases. He practices pitching. And in spring training for a week, he practices fielding. That is it. These guys are paid way too much money to throw a baseball at a glove, and that's it. To be swinging a bat, that's not what they get paid for. Yeah, I love. listen, man, I love your take because I was kind of interested to hear what you were going to say because it sounds – you don't want to be accused of crying on the podcast for sure, but you don't know because that's the that's the issue. Another well, thing now money's get, involved, and right. now it's like as a fan, you know, you, your guy that you expect to be the veteran guy on the team and your ace is hurt because he hit a fucking sack fly in a game that in the grand scheme of things – doesn't matter, and you can't fault him for it because he was trying. Yeah, it was a one nothing lead at the time. should have never been out there. No, and that's what I think would be a great rule is if you really want to have, if you have to have the pitcher hit, and it's not even from an American League standpoint. Shit, D- Jacob DeGrom missed two starts because of an elbow hyperextension that he suffered swinging a bat. A bunch of really good players have gotten hurt swinging a bat, rounding the bases. Chin Ming Wong, who was on the trajectory for a really good career, had his career totally derailed running the bases in Houston when they were still a National League team in interleague play 10 years back. But National League players suffer it too. The thing is, is that you don't even have, the National League organizations don't even have the pitchers hit throughout their pipeline and throughout their minor league systems. Because in the minor leagues, Because it doesn't matter. Yeah. So it's it's literally the only professional league in the world that has the pitcher hit. And riddle me this. Just explain to me this. If you're in a competitive league okay if you're hitting under 100 you're literally giving out giving away an at bat you're giving away three at bats every single game right yeah in what world that you want to win do you do that right and this isn't 19 fucking 32 the analytics are all over this game it is 2018 Figure it out. Yeah. God damn it. And listen, even if you want to, if you have to have your precious pitcher hit and hit 097. He's clearly not that precious because you know he's getting hurt. Right. Then you know what? Take him out. You should be able to put in a, a, a pinch runner to run the bases when, if and when he's on base and then bring the pitcher back into the game. I'm tired of hearing about strategy. I'm tired of teams wearing out their bullpen not because they that. have to it throw just makes that more no, complicated. It, it, Get just, rid of the fucking so pitcher stupid. hitting. I, I'm just saying, I'm throwing a fucking carrot to these people that love their National League Baseball so much. And you know what you have to say? Oh, it gets rid of the utility guy. No. In big time situations, there's still going to be opportunities for pinch hitters. Don't tell me that they don't pinch hit in the American League. Not to mention that these guys that are good pinch hitters are usually good fielders and fast runners or they're big power bats that you like Tyler Austin that you still want on your bench because who do you want hitting in, in, in a big situation where you need a home run Ronald Torres or do you want 
you know, Tyler Austin. Right, or Neil Walker. Still, like and that. You know yeah. If anything, it will create more jobs in the MLB because that's another whole other side of the league that's going to need another guy to hit. Yep, absolutely. So there's then, you know what, it'll expand the rosters and, you know, it's not going to eliminate the utility guys' jobs. So I don't want to hear that either because you still need a good fielder off your bench that can play the middle infield as well as the outfield, another guy that can play first base, another guy that can catch, and a power bat coming off your bench. Absolutely. So there's literally no argument in 2018 to not have a DH. Absolutely, and you couldn't have made this argument in 2017 and 16 and 14, going all the way back, because you know what? To everything you said, you couldn't have said it better. And and as far as the rant goes, I'm so fucking sick and tired of seeing, of hearing these people talk about, oh, well, they're athletes. If you aren't trained to run a full-out 90, 90-foot sprint, in a one nothing game where Pitchers your run is going to score the run. David Wells, you want to tell me that's a top-tier athlete? CeCe Sabathia, maybe once upon a time, he's not a top-tier athlete now. You already said it once, Bartolo oh, Colon. Colon. The guy does one thing great. He he throws he, strikes right. literally to wherever he wants. That doesn't mean he, you're going to put him and Mike Trout on the same thing, and you can't say they're athletes. This isn't basketball where the best athletes play or football where aside from a kicker, a punter, and sometimes a quarterback, the best athletes are the ones that play. No, this is baseball. It's a much more intelligence-based sport as well as a much more skilled-based sport. So what's a skill? Being able to only hit four times a fucking game and not play the field and still keep yourself locked in. Yeah. You know what that is? That's a fucking DH. You know how long it's been around? Since 1973. 1973. Yeah. Yep. 1973, they had the first fucking DH. Yep. Wasn't he signed by the Red Sox? Ron Bloomberg of the Yankees, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There you go. Yep. And yeah. it looks like the American League has had it all figured out. And it's even better now because now your prototypical DH, like your Ortiz or your A-Rod or whatever, aren't even the case now. But you can use that DH to to give guys half days off, especially look at a Gary Sanchez or an Aaron Judge or a Giancarlo Stanton. You know those guys can have don't have to play the field every day. That's another thing is if you're an American League team, you're literally losing a, a focal point of your lineup. You have to say, oh, Gardner's not playing today. Oh, Hicks isn't playing today. Judge isn't playing today. Stanton's not playing today because you have to accommodate your pitcher to hit in the eight or nine spot. And I just it, it's just a travesty because now if you're a team, you lose even if you're a National League team. That's where I that's where you lose me with the argument because oh, this is an American League fan that doesn't like yeah, it. And I don't want to see Jacob DeGrom get hurt swinging a bat. Yeah. As a baseball fan, and that's like, not fun. That's not his job. That's not what he should be doing. All right, all right. Let's take it down a notch here. I mean, Jesus Christ. But, you know, I completely agree with you. And, you know, and and you got guys, not to not to go too long on this stupid rant because it's just silly, but you got guys like... Everybody but it just thinks, happened. But everybody thinks Joe Madden is such a genius for batting a pitcher eighth. Oh, so the fucking eight hitter is going to get out instead of the nine hitter? Oh, great. By the way, You're, Tony LaRusso was doing that in the 80s. So yeah, but on. regardless of wherever, there's still an automatic out in your lineup. It's literally an an eight guy lineup, you know, with nine guys in it and you have three, three to four automatic outs every single game. That doesn't make sense in 2000. It doesn't make sense ever, but especially now where everything is being enhanced, they have humidors in, in two stadiums to, to get better. It just doesn't make sense when you're trying to better the game all around. They're tight. Supposedly they're tightening up the stitches on the baseballs. All the equipment's getting better. The analytics, yada, yada, yada. Whatever. We're talking it to death, but it needs to It go. just happened. It was a big thing. And 
to carry on a little bit of the talk, I think we need to get into the debacle and utter ridiculousness that is the New York Mets. And there have been reports that Syndergaard and DeGrom could be made available. I'm very interested to hear your take on both what the Mets are, what can't they do, why, and then go on from, from the pitching standpoint. You have two dominant pitchers when Syndergaard comes back. What's going to happen? What are the Mets going to do? Who could they trade them to? And what are they going to ask for in return? Um, well, obviously, Syndergaard being younger and even more dominant than DeGrom, who is looking like a Cy Young candidate this year, uh, I think they're going to want a lot more for him. Um, some of the trade candidates, probably somebody out West that you're not going to see him or somebody in the AL, um, you know, he's got under a one ERA, which is incredible. He's got a 0.81 ERA. Um, you know, he's, he's the best pitcher in baseball right now. And you know, would I love to see him pitch for the Yankees? And me and you have this debate all the time. And if the Mets were competently run, they would trade him to the Yankees because the Yankees have by far the best talent to offer them. But you know what? You're right. The Mets wouldn't even give up Lucas Duda for the Yankees last year. Um, so, you know, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to speculate on on a certain location. Um, if he goes to the Astros, it's, it's a wrap. It's a oh quick wrap. Um, but, you know. They have I, the prospects to do it, too. I could see the Astros going after an outfielder more from the Mets. You know, if the Mets are willing to give up either a Jay Bruce or a Nimmo for on the cheap or something like that, I could see because the Astros could use one more outfielder to really put them over the top. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm actually surprised the Mets are being competent for once instead of trying to steal every penny they can by trying to get people to go to the ballpark every two out of five days to watch Syndergaard dominate and DeGrom have a Cy Young year. Um, you know, but the article was the article and it looks like they might deal him. Yeah, no. And I, I'm so interested to see what's going to happen because they certainly don't have to. Um, DeGrom is under team control through 2020. So two more full years after this and Syndergaard, uh, through 2021. So three, they're young. Well, DeGrom's 30, but, uh, he, he has been, he has been one of the best pitchers in baseball since he came up in 2014. Yeah, and he consistently sits at like 97, but he, he can just put the ball pitch. wherever he wants He can it. pitch. He's you great. watch him pitch any day, that's a, that's a no-hitter and, and waiting to happen. And you look at your that stat just, that you, you rattled know, off. I hate to get sentimental, but I wish the Mets fans, you know, enjoyed him a lot more because, you know, all Harvey this, Harvey that. DeGrom's been their best pitcher since the day that he came up. Harvey has sentimentality because he was the first one out of those pitchers that made them relevant and had to watch because they were a bad, bad team. But to go off of that stat that you read, he has an 0.81 ERA in his last nine starts. He's made 13 on the year. 76 Ks in 55 and a third innings. The Mets in that span are 2-7. and seven. It's ridiculous. And, and as, watching, of our, as of the game last night, they've lost eight in a row. Yep. He has to make – he has to pitch – like every game, if he gives up one run, that's a loss. And it's funny, you watch the Mets play, and this is not to pile on the Mets from Yankee fans. I, the, I, in my opinion, the, the city is better when both teams are good. It's easier to talk about. It's fun. You get the two, you get the two teams and the fan base is really going at each other, even though they're not intricately involved with each other's success. It's a fun atmosphere to be a part of. And the ineptitude that seems to follow the Mets, regardless of who the manager is, general manager is, it's it's comical. I mean, 
just in this series alone, Syndergaard ready to pitch Sunday night against Severino. What an awesome matchup that could be. Oh, Syndergaard scratched because he came back from his rehab too fast. Oh, Cespedes is playing a minor league game. He might be ready for Saturday's game. Oh, left with tightness in his left quad. Ridiculous. He probably played 36 holes of golf that day. Probably too. Um, But yeah, you know, the Mets, I put them right in the same category as the Jets, although they drafted drafted a, uh, hopefully their quarterback of the future, and the Knicks. How many times have you said that? I'm I'm trying to wish it out. I'm trying to, you know, positive (laughs) self-talk. But, um... You know, I put them all three in the same category because it, all you say is, God damn, you know, they're in a great market if they could only have a better owner. Because it just starts at the top. Like any other business, it starts at the top. It, if they had better ownership, like some of these other owners, and, and more competence throughout the organization, they're in a great market to be really good. But, you know, that's just the way it is. The Mets just seem to not be able to do anything right every single year. You start out 11 and 1 and they've lo- they've pretty much lost every single They're game. They're 16 since. and 33 cents. Yeah, the the tires literally flew off the car after going 11 and 1. Um Cespedes, I don't think it was a good signing when they did it, but they had to do it. Um they you know. cater to their fan base. That's the problem. And one and that's the one obstacle that I think that could derail a DeGrom Syndergaard trade. Keep in mind that they don't have to do it. If they feel like they can trade some other commodities, maybe build, you know, you got these great pitchers under team control for another few years. And what are the reasons else that the fans are coming out to watch them play? Yeah. It, but from what it seems, because they might actually have a competent GM, there's two untouchable players that are up on the big team right now. And that's the shortstop um, Rosario yeah. and um, Conforto. Nim- yeah, well, and even Conforto's fallen out of love. I think they like Nimmo even a little bit more than him now. But yeah, I mean, both. Both. I, w- I would agree with that. Conforto is still ha- held high regard in that organization. But it's crazy, dude. I mean, it's just the young players that come up. I mean, you looked at the Mets a couple years ago when they went to the World Series. and They'll be back. That's a starting rotation where even if one or two of them fall apart, they're still really good. And Steven Matz is pitching to an uh, to a mid-3 ZRA. Last night, he made two mistakes. He went six innings, three runs. That's not a bad performance. You know the bullpen's going to cough it up, and you know your team's not scoring any more runs. The value for DeGrom in particular will never be higher than it is right now, oh, especially absolutely. the way he's pitching. The guy's going to probably start the All-Star game. I mean, uh, maybe Max Scherzer because it's in Washington. But, right. I mean, he's still – he's probably a top – two candidate for the NL Cy Young Award. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Mets are just trash. What else can you say? Um, jumping on to our team, the the Yankees, um, I just invested in them. I own a little bit of the yeah, team. Yeah, just no a lot. Deal. I'm um, happy that you were able to say something that you always get on me for. But. Yeah, that's why I made fun of myself there. Um, so, Montgomery... <laughs> Obviously, we mentioned and we ranted for a really long time. Tanaka's on the DL. Uh, Montgomery has to get Tommy John surgery. That one was kind of... That one, you kind of saw the writing on the wall from when he went on the DL and then they tried to rehab it and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and now the Yankees are... Although Domingo Herman pitched great last night, I think the Yankees need at least one starter. And this Cole Hamels thing, I think it's going to come to fruition. Yeah, that that first inning last night was a bit inauspicious, but Herman really settled down. The guy's got really good stuff. The guy has really, really good three-plus pitches with a moving fastball in the mid-90s, a really good slider, and a really good changeup. 
Um, young pitcher, you, he's just got to get more consistent throughout the games, but he looks good. I mean, he's certainly not a problem. He, keep, he gives you a chance to win every start, which is what a fifth starter should do. Sad thing for Montgomery, I know you and I were both high on him. Uh, not one of the most heralded prospects, came through the system fast, lefty, good stuff. Um, you're looking at probably the end of next year or early 2020 when he when you see him again. Yeah, they're gonna baby it. Yeah, you can't you can't bank on it. anybody that has Tommy John. You can't bank on being a uh, being a future um, stalemate in your rotation. Um, you hope for him that he can come back and be what he had been previously. But yeah, this really amplifies the starting pitching talk. And with Tanaka out, maybe till the All Star break. With Herman pitching, they're going to call somebody up. I don't know who. It doesn't sound like it's going to be Sheffield. It's definitely not going to be Adams as he continues to get rocked in the in in AAA. Um, it's going to be interesting to see who they bring up and who, and if they're able to get the job done. The one thing the Yankees have at their advantage right now is they're just playing out of their minds. I mean, they they can beat up any average pitching. Their bullpen is electric and dynamic. Especially, we've gotten on them plenty, but Dylan Batances looks really, really good. I agree with you to a point. They are beating up on, you know, a bad team right now, but it's not like that you can say that, but they also don't have a cushion. I mean, them and no, the Red they Sox do not. are neck and neck in this division, and obviously in a perfect world, you win the division, and, and, the, game, and the division is won in the early months. Because, you know, you're going to get the way the teams are run now so well, for the most part, you're, you're going to get hot at the right time and really be good into the playoffs. But the, the division's really won early in the year. You saw the Yankees in 2016, you know, lose a division. Oh, yeah. Same thing last year. Yep. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and both teams, I mean, I think that's the only deflating part about this run the Yankees are on is Boston's just as good. And. You're gonna Which ha- is the point of why you have to make moves to go out and get a starter. Right. If there was a guy, if she- if Sheffield or Adams were waiting in the wings and they were ready to go, you know, a pitching version of Clint Frazier where you're just tearing it up and you just look like a major leaguer, great, bring him up, you know? It'll yep. be even more exciting. A homegrown kid to come up and, you know, pretty much homegrown. Um and pitch, but at this point, no, they got to go out and look for somebody. Oh yeah, and you. The other thing too is that pitcher. You have to get a guy that's that's ready for the postseason. Maybe you don't have to do that now. Maybe you wait to see what surfaces by July thirty first. Um, I think a JA hat makes sense. Um, a guy who you probably don't have to give up a lot to get. Um, you hate giving anybody to Toronto, but Hap is a good le- lefty pitcher. He's going to give you a chance to win basically every start. He's postseason tested. Um, obviously we've, we've speculated with Hamels. I think it makes too much sense not to happen. He's been giving up home runs at a big clip this year. Uh, he got hit hard by the Astros the other day, but you wonder too, is he's on a bad team making starts down yeah. there in Texas. I mean, listen, he's not Look what happened to Verlander last Verlander, year, but I was just about to say the same thing. Maybe he gets reinvigorated with a, a much better team. Um, and he's also pitching in Arlington, Texas, which is one of the hardest ballparks when it starts to heat up in the summer. Um, but yeah, I think the Yankees are, it's the pitching search is really going to heat up. You're going to see a lot more articles out there about it. Um, they're, they're, they're going to, they don't have a choice. They have to get somebody. It's just, we'll have to see to the extent of who they get. Do they go out and get a top two starter or do, you know, because Tanaka's probably going to be on and off the DL a lot. Um, or do they go out and get a guy that's going to shore up the back end? Like you alluded to with the hap. I think Garrett, um, Cole is a little bit, Hamels is a little bit of an in-betweener. You know, he's not an ace, but he's also not 
Hap, right? He can dominate a game, but yeah, it'll it'll be really interesting to see um, what the Yankees do within the next you know month and a half. But they're rolling right now. Really fun to watch. Really young. Torres looks great. The whole team looks great. Even Stanton's starting to look a little bit better, rolling into form. Hopefully, he's just like a Mark Teixeira, where he, the cold weather, he starts off cold, heats up. You know, I, I'd like to see that. And it's that. his first year, you know. He you, seems you, to have an approach. I, I don't like the first year bullshit. He's a fucking nine-year MLB. I know, but it is, it is different going to it, going from playing in, with nobody watching to playing in New York and getting, you know, yeah, you can getting press, that. But, but either way, it's it, there's really not a lot to be upset about if you're if you're watching the Yankees right now. It, what is going to be interesting is, like you said, in the next couple months, there's going to be some shakeups. Um, we'll see what ends up coming to fruition. So... Um, we're going right, to go on up, from there. Just and- a little NFL talk. There's not much going on throughout the league now besides, you know, I guess Odell Beckham showing up and then not showing up and blah, blah, blah. He wants to be paid like a quarterback, and I don't really see that happening. Um, I don't either. But, not, but you know, besides that, Julian Edelman got suspended, so that'll put him out a year and four games. Um, you know, I don't really know the drug he was taking, but I could see why he would want to take a performance-enhancing drug, just being that you're tr- you're a small guy trying to come back from injury. And, you know, that knee is really important to a guy like him who he's not the fastest guy. He's super quick, but he's not the fastest guy. A guy like him, I think he's... I don't think he's ever going to be the same. He'll be super hyped. It'll be exciting to see him come back. But a guy that needs to run perfect routes and make perfect cuts to get open within those, you know five, six yard ins and outs. I don't think he'll ever be the same player just because it's going to be really hard to do that when you only have one ACL, not to mention, you know, you're missing four games. It'll give him time to get healthy, but I don't think he'll ever be the same, especially because he's a little bit older. Yeah, but I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. Um, Brady's going to find another guy. Uh, that he likes. Uh, the guy they drafted from Miami this year? Yep, probably somebody or somebody that comes right off the practice squad. Um they're going to go 2 and 2 or uh 3 and 1 and there's going to be questions about them just like there is every single year the first quarter of the season. Edelman will come back, he'll slowly get integrated back into the system. By week 10, he's putting up 250-yard games, scoring a couple touchdowns uh on those quick Brady slant routes. And the Patriots will be right back to where they pretty much always are, which is the AFC Championship game, a.k.a. the New England Patriot Invitational, and maybe the Super Bowl. Sounds like there's a little animosity in your voice. I mean, as a Giants fan, beating them twice. I have no animosity. I'm just saying. You should be able right now to die happy just as a Giants fan. I'm very. Don't take that as animosity. I'm just saying. It's like every year, you know, they get off to a a start that they lose a game or two that that people want to say the sky is falling and they end up coming right out of it and they are always the best, most consistent team down the stretch. There's no animosity. It's Absolutely. just they are they are consistently great. And until they are not, there's no reason for me to doubt just that like they're not gonna be where they always are. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean every year it seems like the, the, any animosity that's gotta year, come from you. Yeah. I'm I'm at this point it's just like you know, you just gotta lay down and take it. Every year it's the same fucking shit. But, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Um, I guess it'll impact fantasy drafts more than really anything else. The Patriots will just on to the next one. Um, but, yeah, we got we got a lot of MLB coming up. I guess the NBA offseason will heat up. The NBA and there is no offseason. Can't yeah. wait. The draft's in a exactly. few weeks. There's the free agent saga. There's trades. Uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot coming up. We'll, we'll have no shortage of uh, 
of discussion. Yeah, I mean, you know, I never know. Maybe we'll talk soccer next time. The oh, World Cup is coming up. up. Dude. I mean, there will be no soccer. There will be no soccer on this podcast. Oh. Just for kicks. Okay. All right. All right. Have a good one. Bye.